0: Hello there, patrons. Welcome to Afibunga. This episode is called Fuck, Abolish, or Defund. What to do about the police. Uh, So in the last three articles type episode that we did, we discussed three different articles about uh, Black Lives Matter, um, specifically looking at the global dimension. Uh, Someone commented, you haven't discussed policing properly and there's actually, you know, ongoing debates and arguments and struggles for reforming, changing, abolishing, whatever policing in the US prompted by Black Lives Matter protests. Um, And, you know, you haven't addressed that. And we said we were going to do an episode on that specifically. And here we are. Uh, So it's myself, Alex, Phil and George uh, discussing policing. We're going to talk about um, maybe policing in general, specifically uh, what's going on in the US and taking up some of the arguments that have been made there, um, some of the counter arguments. Uh, and we're also going to be looking a little bit at policing in the UK and in Brazil. Um, as a base for these discussions, uh, some of the readings just to make uh, a, a call out to some of them. So uh, Nonsite has a symposium that they've done. Uh, all these readings, by the way, are included in the show notes if you want to follow them up. Um, so they've done a, a really interesting symposium, maybe mainly looking at rebutting some of the arguments that have been advanced in the US right now. Um uh, As well as a series that Verso Books' uh, blog is doing, uh, looking at policing in in different places, trying to provide global perspectives on policing. Um, I contributed the first article on that, um, about Brazil specifically. Uh, There's also ones about Kenya and about France, uh, produced so far, and there's more to come, um, which will be put out uh, after we've recorded this. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 22nd of July, and you're hearing this sometime as of uh, Thursday, the 28th of July. Sorry, I should say uh, Tuesday, uh, the twenty eighth of July. Um, so the question of policing obviously was prompted uh, most recently by uh, the murder of George Floyd at the hands of uh, Minnesota police uh, and the ensuing protests and riots. But there's other issues as well. I mean, and if you want to look at it globally, um, you know, you have in had in France the the CRS, the the kind of riot cops there, their repression of the Gilets Jaunes, uh, the repression in in Hong Kong, uh, and the new law implemented there, effectively giving the Chinese state authority over, over Hong Kong. Um, you know, Bolsonaro here and the, and the rise of uh, the forces of repression um, to play an even greater role in the state now in, in Brazil. Um, and various other cases. But um, as we said in the article in the discussion about three articles, um, as I've argued separately, uh, there's no real sense in looking at policing, I think, in in a global sense. I mean, you have to look at each specific uh, national case, um, because those that's the way those things are structured. Um, and for all that, maybe, you know, they've seen discussions about looking at the way the US police has imported uh, Israeli tactics and things like that. And while there might be some um, cross sedimentation of of kind of policing tactics and some different states learning from each other on how to repress their citizens. Um, Ultimately, these things are structured at a a national level. And that's therefore how they should be discussed. So uh, to get started, let's talk about uh, the US. Um, So the big slogans there, as all listeners will no doubt know, have been to defund the police or even abolish the police um so maybe just first of all uh, should we just discuss our first impressions of what these slogans and their proposals seem to indicate
1: yeah i'm a bit i guess initially skeptical of any um claim like uh, you know abolish this or abolish that which isn't sort of class society but no i mean i guess the this is, is sort of a bit of a short circuit isn't it this idea that by abolishing the by abolishing police you can you can get rid of the things which the police obviously serve to to protect which is which are property relations you can end class struggle at at um at, at one one fell swoop um and I think that that doesn't you know that doesn't really address the structural problems. I mean obviously there are problems with individual police, but the um I guess to you know to take a step back and see where where do the police fit in class struggle that's a that's a more difficult question um, and obviously requires a, a bit of a different response than just getting rid of the coercive power of the state. There has to be some something on the other side, some increase in in force um, of society as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, I suppose to be generous to, I mean, I'm sceptical essentially for reasons which have been voiced by George, which is you've always got to um, thread the slogan through a particular context. Um And I suppose it reminds me a bit of the slogan of abolish borders or open borders um, during the Syrian refugee crisis a few years back here in Europe. And what seemed initially is an extraordinarily um, seemed an, kind of an extraordinarily radical sentiment of um, pointing towards a kind of a world of people being free to move without passports and border guards and barbed wire fences and all the rest of the you know kind of accumulated detritus of uh, of borders and police. Um, its actual content was humanitarian. It was kind of a, a desire for an empathic um, an empathic uh, ideal of uplifting, suffering humanity rather than focused on any kind of political transformation of the status quo. And I think similarly with these kinds of, um, despite the kind of the sheen of radicalism with abolish the police or defund the police, in the contemporary context where you have uh, such little organization on the part of uh, civil society, and obviously, most importantly, on the part of labor and on the part of the working class, that inevitably, in that context, um, these radical slogans will mean the empowerment of other state agencies. It'll mean, you know, maybe more social workers rather than cops. Uh, The most immediate kind of um, context would also be, I think, probably greater criminality in particular areas where um, people suffer the most as well. Um, So it's kind of and not to mention the fact that it's never kind of talked about in the same kind of uh, discussion with gun control. So the same so many of the same people who are, you know, the New Yorker, the New York Times and kind of um, very centrist liberals kind of demanding that the police be defunded or on the radical fringes of those arguments uh, abolish the police will be the same people who say that, um, uh, you know, kind of gun control should be stepped up that the Second Amendment should be scrapped, um, and that don't trust actually society to organize itself independently of state power. So, I mean, it's an interesting contrast. The superficial radicalism, um, which seems so sweeping and impressive, um, actually in the contemporary context speaks to, I think, much more retrograde tendencies.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think the the question of abolishing the police is more easily dealt with, um, more easily dismissed as an idea, for the reasons that you say. I mean, and, and George as well, that uh, the police is, is fundamental to um, the state's monopoly on violence, and the state is is essential to capitalism. So, trying to just simply get rid of the, what is one of the state's fundamental. Roles and functions and purposes um, is completely completely utopian. Um, So there's that, and I think also that it's a product of defeat and demoralization. So although its radicalism suggests a great kind of self confidence, um, it actually comes out of failure to reform the police, and I think that's where that that kind of radical rhetoric ends up coming from as well. I mean, from the part of activists, not from those who uh, sometimes act as mouthpieces for it, you know, for for example, kind of centrist media that Phil mentioned, but from activists who felt that, hang on, we've tried to reform the police, we've tried to, you know, use peaceful means, we've tried to do whatever um, we can to try to ameliorate the situation. And it hasn't helped. Therefore, we need to like abolish the police because the police is never going to be on our side. Yes, you're right. The police is never going to be on your side. But Simply abolishing the police without abol- abolishing class society um, is a complete is, is really properly utopian, um, and I uh, think
2: the- I I agree it's utopian. I guess I would just qualify what you just said about the. I don't think it can't. It doesn't seem to me to be born of radicalism, which is born of frustrated efforts of reform, because it doesn't seem to me that um, there have been meaningful efforts at reform. They've been in the U.S. at least. They've been systematically stymied by um, both. You know, both major parties. and if um so no, no, I don't I, I but I mean I mean
0: sorry, I mean very much grassroots activism. I don't I don't mean that there's been attempts um, at the level of the state.
2: what I was going to say was it seems to me it's more um, uh, pleading by a particular kind of caste or group. I mean, the activists who are demanding this are the kind of you know, the NGO class, the social worker class, the teacher. Um, people who would feel kind of that they would capture, I think, more of the reso—you know resources would effectively be redirected their way and their status and position in society would be boosted in terms of their capacity to control um, people's lives, to control kind of um, to be able to tell people who live in inner cities what to do, to be able to tell racial minorities what to do. Um, and to be able to tell working class people what to do. So I mean, no, it's, I think I, I think,
0: think I I think that's unfair it's because the although NGO, that's, it's, no, th- be the that no that exists class, that, ex- that exists, but that's more visible to us because we're not there. And we're, but there are working class activists, um, indeed, or even organic intellectuals, maybe. But I mean, you know, working class activists, grassroots activists in communities which um, are obviously maybe they're not advocating specifically um, to abolish the police, though. And I think that might be right. But there are attempts to. Change the situation in policing. Um, I'm,
2: I'm not. I'm not convinced. And all of this always has to be stacked up against, obviously, you know um, what data shows of people's attitudes, which obviously is overwhelmingly um, hostile to the idea of abolishing. police. Oh, of course, police. of course.
0: But that. But that's anyway. So leaving aside the question of abolishing anyway, because. As we've said, um, it's completely utopian um, and not in any good sense of the word. Um, but to defund the police seems um, superficially more feasible to have more traction. Um, It's a concrete proposal, at least, that one should shift uh, the state, I mean, the state, either kind of a US state or at the federal level, uh, its budgetary priorities towards other areas, um, maybe towards social work, for example, or towards education, instead of policing, which sounds superficially good, because you would rather the state uh, extend more its caring hand rather than its repressive hand. But, but, um i think one of the initial arguments against this and i think this is one that is made in one of the, in the non site symposium by uh Dustin Quastella um, which points out that actually defunding the police that, that police departments local police departments which are the least funded which face the most austerity are in many ways the most violent. Um, and this can be seen in various perspectives one in terms of the numbers of police so uh, places which have more police and better funded police like uh, for example New York City or, or in big cities actually tend to kill fewer I mean just using the, the base metric of how many police clings there are they kill less whereas actually less fund, less well-funded police departments, in um more rural areas or in poorer areas actually end up killing more. So I think there, just on an empirical level, it seems to be the case that there isn't a direct relationship between how well funded police are and, uh, and and their deadliness effectively.
2: I'm sure that's well, true. I mean that's
1: that's it's not it's not the same thing because of course defunding would be taking a, a current situation now and looking to looking to change it across the board. I mean they can <clears throat> i mean as far as i understand the the, the data is not really um uh definitive if whether that effect is explained by obviously the the poor makeup of those cities with less or those locations with less well-funded police because of course that could be another explanation for yeah. it not to not to necessarily support defunding um but just i think to give it to give it its its uh, its its due, that there's there is a question there is a question of not knowing exactly what change that would um, would effectuate.
0: Yeah, and and there's another issue which is not directly related to policing itself, but th- that the whole notion of defunding um, sustains the, the sustains the whole concept of uh, austerity politics. Effectively, that there's only so much to go around and that therefore, if we just shifted from policing towards education, you know, society would be better off. Um, and I mean, while that seems superficially attractive, I think it buys far too much into the notion of state budgets are only or city budgets, municipal budgets are only so much and that uh, that is we'll just have to make a do uh, with things as they are.
2: And like I say, I mean, it's not coming from a, you know, from a kind of politically organized um independent movement from below i mean it's a you know it's so much of the um you know a lot of it is kind of offshoots of the democratic party at various kind of levels seeking to uh, manipulate local politics or to embarrass um, to embarrass uh, different levels of government, perhaps controlled by the Republicans or the federal government, or to damage Trump's re-election prospects. And a lot of it is also the social worker class, I think, um, effectively trying to extract and leave, you know, trying to extract greater resources and social status. It is not the outcome of an organized um, social movement, independent of the existing kind of establishment elite, beating back state power. That doesn't seem to me to be the essential dynamic at work. Um, and so that always has to be borne in mind. And, uh, you know, the, so uh, kind of uh, redirecting that's... resources into other forms of social control through state power doesn't seem to me to resolve the underlying question.
1: Yeah, and that comes through in the nature, I guess, to a certain extent of of the demand, defund. It's, it is a kind of a technical solution to a political problem. It's looking at police in terms of you know how much you're going to buy you're going to spend more you're going to spend less you'll get kind of better or worse quality of of intervention um but of course that's not the way that you know policing taken as a whole in society works there's of course a function that it has to play which is protection of specific property rights and that's you know that's not going to be that's not going to be affected by having more or less um, money thrown at the police, and in fact, there could be a whole load of unintended consequences if if the the money is less. I guess the the key question in always in this kind of context is what's what's being proposed. If 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 abolishes the negative side of the proposal, what's the positive side? And I think Phil seems fairly convinced that this is a move on the part of. Um, Uh, the clericy to increase their social standing so instead of you know abolish the police and educate the
2: masses
1: um
2: yeah and
1: and you know there might be something in that um i i you know can't couldn't say for sure but i guess the question is where's the where are the people calling to arm the masses I, i think if somebody said defund the police and give all of their equipment to um to civil society notwithstanding the low level of organization of civil society I think I would that would be an interesting um <laughs> a more interesting yeah. way to, to to pursue things
0: no I mean or at least you would take their claims more seriously if they were willing to arm themselves and form community policing groups uh, in the in the stead of of organized police forces um but what as many people have pointed out what is likely to happen is that you'll end up with private security forces, maybe even militias, uh, filling the void where, where the police were. And I mean, ultimately, the, the problem with these discussions of policing is that I, there's, on one level, the political uh, elements, which um, Phil was just pointing to in terms of the confrontation with the state. Um, but there's also a lot of kind of minutiae of how policing is actually structured um, and works and the blunt instrument of we're going to take your toys away, effectively, we're going to cut your budgets doesn't actually deal with a lot of that. Um, you know, right now, I think there was a bill passed in Congress, and I think it's most likely to fall in the Senate, if I'm not mistaken, um, but which is a bill uh kind of reforming how force is used and, and banning things like chokeholds, as well as trying to target racial bias, which I am much more skeptical about its ability to do so. But you know, there think measures like trying to, you know, banning chokeholds and guaranteeing more accountability for, for police who overstep the lines. That seems like a worthwhile reform. But once again, you need the kind of social force to actually make that a reality. Um, you need to be able to bring that to bear. Um And I think you know if it when if it, if it remains purely at the level of of rhetoric i mean just because a, bi- a law is passed doesn't mean that it actually has real purchase at the at the kind of granular level
1: yeah no i think so your, your point about um private police forces that's actually the main thing that i'd meant to say when i when i made my previous point and just completely forgot to to say it which is that in the in the condition of, of like really radically defunded police, there is potentially a big gap there for the increased hypertrophy, if you will, of, um, private, privatization of more or less legitimate violence. I mean, it's, it's, I remember reading, it was a few years ago the the, the point at which there were more private security guards, um, than police in, in the UK. And this is the case in, in so many countries and, including the US which we're, which we're talking about here and it's a, it's a massive industry and I think this is you know there's it's not like if you take the police force away you take force away um obviously you know people are willing and particularly I'm sure in, in Brazil that this must be the case are willing to resort to private uh means to protect their protect their positions of relative privilege or their you know their class interests and and just abolishing the police doesn't or defunding the police isn't. Um, sadly enough to to, to get rid of that (laughs) structural condition of society
0: no indeed and and the development of like regularised national I mean you know local police forces as well but at least regularised public under public authority um, is an advancement over um, the the kind of private militias effectively um, there's at least some kind of um, kind of a, a, a yeah, slightly I mean, greater degree of civilization to having a, a police force which is at least theoretically accountable to democratic institutions ultimately
1: well so it, so it proved historically at least the movement from you know to, to the, the police force in the metropolitan police force first kind of modern police force which came out of an earlier organization the uh, Bow Street Runners Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there is a, there is some idea of sort of taking that into, into the public realm. Um, obviously whether those early ideals have been, have been corrupted or lived, um, out more, more fully is a, you know, is a, is a separate question, but there certainly came a point at least in British capitalism where it was decided that we, there, it was a good idea to have a, a public funding, um, of of the
0: place, Leviathan's a bastard, but at least he's our bastard.
1: <laughs> that, no, that's not exactly yeah, what you saying. <laughs> yeah, he's made up of all our of all our little little bodies and uh, the, the the illustration, nice <laughs> piece of uh, of Hobbes.
0: Yeah, sorry. Um, so uh, actually, I, I think I was meant to make the shout out earlier, and I haven't done. But um, some of what we're discussing here. Uh, was discussed maybe at a a kind of more theoretical level, at a higher level of abstraction in The Reading Club, which came out at the end of last week, um, for when you're hearing this, uh, where we discussed... Uh, war technology and the growth of the state. So uh, you should check that out. That's for um, patrons. i I feel like I'm now I'm upselling you. I'm sorry, um, but anyway, uh, you can check out that reading club if you're interested, which deals uh, with some of these issues, um, as I said, in a little bit more of an abstract fashion. Um, but going back to policing and specifically policing in the U.S., um, some of the I guess, counter arguments to abolishing or defunding the police um, that were made in the non-science symposium deal with the geography and, and the kind of specific nature of the deadliness of police forces in the US and how it intersects with the racial question. Um, so, I mean, I, do you guys have a chance to read this? I think the the most, uh, the one which deals with it more specifically is one by Christian Parenti um, on the geography of police killings. Um so, but maybe just to give a a précis of of what it is. I mean, basically, and and this is something which was also mentioned and discussed by Adolf Reed in a separate article on that on on that site, and by uh, Cedric Johnson, which we discussed in the last three articles. Which is basically, I mean, about the coincidence of of, of class and and race, and specifically, um, you know, it's probably more true to say that please kill poor people than it is to say please kill black people. Um, Obviously, black people are overrepresented in the national figures. Um, but that varies quite a lot by geography. And, and the, the point that Christian Parenti makes is that actually, uh, it's actually in the north where, um, police kill black people, um, to greater degrees in, in relation to their, the black people's share of the population. Um, so effectively, it's more racialized in the north. Whereas in, in the deep south, um, there's a lot of, people who are killed who are white and actually, uh, although maybe black people might be slightly overrepresented in police killings, um, it, it's actually the fact that there are a lot of poor whites in um, in the South that uh, that that determine the kind of racial profile of, of, of police killings. And um, I mean, I don't know what to necessarily take away from this mm. other than that it provides some granularity and a bit of a contrast to this notion advanced by Black Lives Matter that it's um, that it's still the same old racial state of the past um, that uniquely targets black people, that white people are exempt and are privileged and not being killed. I mean, that's basically not the case. Um, it class is more of a determinant. Um, and that it varies ge- geographically so uh, policing is much is more racialized in the north than it is in the south which is a really counterintuitive um, idea because uh, the south is seen as the, the home of the home of racism which is a terrible phrase but anyway um,
1: yeah no it's, it's there's some quite striking stats in, in in that specific piece only 7% of Massachusetts residents are black yet they constitute 35% of people killed by by cops and I guess that's that's it, it makes complete sense when when it's unpacked like that but it's not perhaps the, the picture that you you get of the you know the, the the southern um of it being a kind of expression of racism at the at the kind of federal or regional um level so no i thought it was a, it was a useful um yeah and quite thought-provoking piece um i guess you know just another bit of context it's quite i guess striking from a from a british point of view just to see the raw the raw numbers um and i think even when and when when we get to talk about brazil um just of the number of people killed by by police in both you know both the us and and brazil um that you're sort of able to to make this to to create these social facts from this because the numbers are uh a high not that there's not a zero in the uk of course but much higher in, in the comparative countries.
0: Okay. So maybe we should actually broaden out a little bit, um, because as we discussed, I mean, there's no doubt racism in policing, um, race is a factor in the U S and the reality of segregation is, is still something to, to be contended with. Um, but, you know, as we've just been discussing, the picture is more complicated than that, which is presented by, um, well, you know, by Black Lives Matter um, and a lot of their uh, liberal spokespeople and, 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 and um, amplifiers in the media. Um, you know, all, all with the aim of evading, I think, the, the, the question of class um, and fundamentally the question of what is police violence really about? Why does it happen? And maybe we can discuss this a little bit. Um, what is that root of police violence? I mean, how do we interpret why the police um, why the police kills people and why it, why, it, why it brutalizes people and why it, it um, treats citizens in the repressive manner it, it does in the US?
2: Yeah, and I think I mean you know the default view, I suppose, uh, on the radical left on which is you know, kind of the liberal left effectively, given the state of the left at the moment, is that it's a legacy of, um, of slavery. It's a legacy of the plantation. It's a legacy of all of those things. And it collapses the whole history of um, the development of the police as part of um, urban industrialism into um, one particular moment of, um, of US kind of history. And in so doing, it doesn't actually acknowledge um, the reality of social control and state power in contemporary in contemporary U.S. society at all. I mean, this is something we've talked about before. Um, so, you know, the root of policing violence has to be, if you have to, if you if you're going to properly account for it, you have to locate it in the current moment. I think. So, what is it about contemporary society, about the structures of contemporary society, politics, and the economy, that lead to such a viciously punitive, and carceral state in the U.S. Um, And some of that will be, you know, historically shaped, but the idea that it's kind of deposited wholesale from the plantations of the 17th century or something is just, you know, obviously nonsense Um, and a refusal, in fact, to in fact, it's a willful refusal, I think, on the part of the radical left to um, uh, or the substitution of kind of moralizing for analysis to understand the dynamics of power in contemporary society.
1: Yeah, I think there's a really good point in the um, the lafer piece um, in there, which is essentially saying that you can look for the determinants of of police behaviour, not in individual failings or biography or or psychology, um, but in a structural condition of of having borders between um, between high income and low income parts of cities that need. That need management, and the more that there's um, a kind of a, a, a social desperation or a, a, a situation of um, unrest or a feeling of tension between between you know parts of, of relative affluence and poverty within cities, um, and you know more widely in the country, if you have that situation, you're going to have police resorting to to more either more policing or more more violent policing. Um, but I guess to take the, and maybe this is a bit of an abstract kind of point, but I thought the, you know, there's there's a question here about what's the, what should we actually propose? Not that we're, you know, everyone's waiting for us, us to propose something, but what's the right way to think about this to kind of, you know, what would it mean to democratise policing? How do you, how do you do that? And how is that possible? Can you do that in a situation oh.
2: It's a nice, well, it's like saying demilitarizing the army, democratizing the police. It's just nonsense.
1: Well, um, what's 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 our position then? I mean, uh, I mean, I think what's it, the...
0: I, I think you can have okay. a policy and I think we'll come on to discuss this in with regard to Brazil, but that you can have a poli- that you can have a, some proposals around um, public security. Right. For instance, because that's only one aspect of the policing question, and the other one is the carceral state. You can
2: reform the. You can yeah. reform the police. You can, like, you, yeah. see, you can, yeah, reform the carceral state. I mean, there are, you know, kind of, uh, there are so many things you could do to say criminal legislation in the US that would immediately make so many people's lives better Um by kind of uh, reducing the burden of the carceral state, not least kind of taxpayers as well. Well, but yeah, um, I mean, just you know, basically so,
0: not not put people in prison for minor offenses for just for instance or yeah
2: absolutely so i mean there's so many things you could do um without you know without kind of um these grand delinquent kind of radical claims of defund defunding abolition and democratization
0: i think there's another thing i mean with regard to public security because i think often it's discussed just as the police going and killing people and actually that disregards uh the actual Social need and 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 a kind of a, a broad social majority's desire for the provision of public security. I mean that the the idea that you would just get rid of the police and then that's some of the problems gone ignores the existence of crime, criminal markets, um, of of just interpersonal violence, um, and yeah, well, and specifically the role of criminal markets in 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 um, Stimulating violence, right? And so, as a consequence, and and the way that violence fills in the void for the lack of other economic opportunities, so people still want the provision of, of public security, and, and people want uh, still a, a police, or indeed some other proposals. And I think, in that regard, this is not the most radical approach to it, but that the that citizens should should uh, take, in some sense, the burden. Um, On themselves. And whether that means, you know, whether you're talking about like a neighborhood watch program, or indeed, even uh, militias to carry out policing, you know, that is one, I guess, a kind of democratic grassroots popular approach to the question, which um, at least treats the problem seriously, and doesn't, uh, doesn't just substitute in radical grandiloquent slogans, um, which will arguably lead to, to worse outcomes.
1: Yeah, I guess the, the the missing part of the puzzle is the the organisation or the democratization of society, such that you have people behind a project like this, um, which is really, you know, which is really difficult. You can't. I mean, you can imagine some sort of citizens' militias, but at the moment, I think they they would probably be in the US context, a minority of, of citizens. And it's difficult to see if it's disconnected from other demands to change society, how you would have, um, how that wouldn't be quite an oppositional and almost kind of vigilante group. Well, right, um, it's gonna
0: be boogaloo which, boys, like white white guys in Hawaiian shirts uh, forming vigilante groups. So, I mean, that's obviously not what, you, <laughs> what you'd want, right?
1: Um, it depends how much you like Hawaiian shirts, but yeah.
0: Or white supremacy, you know. Um, so I th- just one final question on this before we move on to discussing other places um, is how does the question of policing, um, police violence, police brutality, and indeed maybe the carceral state um, fit into a wider democratic or socialist struggle? Um, how much does it matter? How much of, should it be a political priority? It's obviously risen as a big priority in the US and those ideas have been taken on in other places. Um, sometimes, as we've discussed before, um, in places where it doesn't really map onto where, for example, police violence or police racism isn't a major social issue in the way that it is in the US. Um, but maybe just restraining ourselves to, to the US context before we move on. How important do we think it is to to take this question on? I mean, is it is it an essential question today? I'm, I'm, I'm personally, honestly, not very sure.
1: Well, the the question of the relationship of of kind of um, abolish the police or defund the police movements to to a kind of wider socialist struggle.
0: No, no, that's no, no, not so much defund or abolish because I think we've dealt with those and critiqued them um, fully. More just reforming the police or or questions of police violence and confrontation between society and state as it plays out in, in policing, as well as the, the justice system, the carceral state? I mean, how important do we think that is as part of a democratic or socialist struggle?
2: Vital. I mean, you know, ending the war on drugs would be a tremendous boon to um, to any kind of notion of social improvement and progress given the justification that it provides for state power, policing, and endless kind of petty intrusion and control in so many people's lives, Um, the justification for the prison industrial complex, all of that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, absolutely vital.
0: Yeah, and I think there's something else as well, which we maybe didn't mention when we're talking about what was at root of, of police violence and the carceral state is just that it's about, I think, managing surplus populations. And I think it's maybe different to what it was in the past, even, even, you know, in the mid 20th century, where I think maybe there, there was a lot more of a need, through the the coercive forces of the state through putting people in prison, processing them through the justice system through violent policing of, of poor neighborhoods, um, to discipline people for work. And maybe what we're seeing today is more, because capitalism doesn't really have very much to offer people doesn't really know what to do with a lot of a whole mass of people. Um, that policing and the carceral state is really, especially with the absurd levels of, uh, incarceration in the US, um, just basically a way of putting people away. Basically, dealing with surplus population yeah. so that they're not a problem anymore in the view in the eyes of the state and capital. Um, and I think that discussion is maybe I mean it's a it's a radical it's maybe a point that is often made uh, in radical Marxist circles, but it maybe doesn't have doesn't inform the wider debate.
1: Yeah, no, I think at at the same time, any any of these um, struggles need to be connected, obviously to to others taking the police as any social issue in isolation um is a is is not a not a properly socialist way to to do it of course it's connected to other problems and particularly i i think ones of um in a slightly different direction to what we've been talking about i guess people's desire to rule to rule politically and this has an element of it which is Related to how you rule society or how society is is organised and governed, um, and I think if you have that impulse to to rule politically, then you you probably along with that have a whole range of 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 alternatives to, to current policing, which um, suddenly seem to be to be more desirable and and socially viable. So yeah, I mean it's it's obviously vital and part of a, a quite sizable. Um, the challenge facing us at the moment.
0: Okay, so maybe we should move on to discussing other places. We're kind of halfway through here. Um, obviously, the situation is very different in different places and the US police kill quite a lot, but not as much as in, in in other places. It does lock up a huge amount of its population, much more than in most other places. Um, but to provide maybe a bit of contrast, maybe we should talk about the UK, um, as you guys live there and we're all familiar with, uh, with the context. I mean, just, just for a bit of con, just for a bit of, um, basic information basic facts to do to with um, you know the rate of uh, of of police killings in the U- in the uk i think it's 0.5 per 10 million people um, there are obviously deaths in police custody there's you know and, and and often the data on these things is not the most reliable in part because and not that all, all easily comparable because of the way that um, the way that these data are compiled by by way that, you know, for example, some places count deaths in police custody and others don't as police killings. But but broadly, you know, in the UK, or at least in England and Wales, it's 0.5 per, per 10 million residents, which is very, very small. Um, so maybe some commentary on that basis.
2: Well, not to be too self-congratulatory about it, I suppose, um, by given the sheer kind of um, just how much of an outlier the US is compared to comparable OECD countries, high-income OECD countries, um, you know, there isn't kind of a great deal of uh, room for self-congratulation given that there are uh, deaths in custody, particularly mentally ill people, asylum seekers, um, uh, racial minorities. But most importantly of all, I think it's the legacy of British policing in Northern Ireland that is what's always left out um, in these debates and particularly kind of is effaced to some degree by the BLM um, protests over policing in the UK Erase um, an actually existing colonial relationship of the British state in Ireland um, Where you know, there are there have been not only kind of police killings, but also military killings of civilians and not to mention also the fact of the um, the, You know, I mean rubber bullets right which everyone complains about now that they've been uh, being used to mutilate protesters civilian protesters in the US Um, they were invented for for population control in Northern Ireland um, so that kind of legacy is um, can almost always ignored um, in terms of the British debate about policing and uh, state the use of state power um, with respect to a civilian population. So, um, you know, all of that, I think, should be factored in. But more, I mean, more recently, what's been most striking, I think, about the debates about the police is... Um, how far the behaviour of the police exhibits the lack of authority of the British state. And this is, I'm sure people will have seen, or some of our listeners, particularly ones in Britain, I guess, will have seen images and videos shared on social media of um, cops running away from um, losing control of estates, losing control of crowds, um, backing away and running away from um, kind of uh, rowdy crowds, um, youth hoodies and so on. And it's really remarkable to see that. I think you would not have seen that, I think, um, for, you know, over the last, I don't know, 50, 40 years of British policing and trying to account for the fact that they're unable to, um, they're unable to exert the authority of the state seems to me to be something which has to be thought about and confronted directly by those who see themselves as critics of state power. Um, part of it, I think, is, you know, material, the fact that the police have been, um, in crude kind of terms, the police have been kind their numbers have been cut and depleted, so there's probably fewer of them to um, to police. But it's also, it seems to me, that they simply, um, they do not have the, uh, the status or the role um, or are able to represent effectively the state or collective authority. And it stems... It, it's not a it's not just a recent issue i mean it, i think it stems back to the hoodie riots of 2011 i think it was is that right 2011 george
1: yeah i, I would say maybe to the student protests to 2010 the you know the the idea that the the, the police don't don't have um ability to control populations um oh, started gonna... there but yeah then i think it was 2012 12, though, so the hoodie riots that you're talking about.
2: But that was one, I mean, sp- very specifically, though, the, it, what happened there was that this, you know, basically, um, you know, it was kind of a, de- you know, deracinated um, mob, effectively, when, you know, began looting, and the police were nowhere to be seen. The state simply kind of abandoned the street to, um, to hoodie looters. It was r- remarkable and astonishing, and it was left to the Kurdish petty bourgeoisie of London, effectively, so, you know, kebab shop owners. Um to defend their property and to defend their kind of livelihoods and their lives indeed, um to restore public order from um from looters. It was a remarkable collapse of authority by the British state. And that seems to yeah. me to have laid the ground for um what we've seen more recently, with the inability even to protect, say, the statue of Churchill in Parliament Square. You'd think that would be a symbol of the British state that they would be able to meaningfully defend, and they had to board it up to prevent it being um, to prevent it being defaced and vandalised. So you have a odd an odd situation where you have uh, the kind of the lack of authority on the part of the British state and its agents, at the same time as you have the lack of any meaningful opposition to to that authority and to that to the British state.
1: Yeah, no, sorry, you are uh, you were right. It was 20. 11 and there was a an interesting kind of cleanup operation afterwards by i guess the on the part of the, the the middle classes to kind of sweep up the the damage done which was was strange coded to that whole um that whole period yeah not. i mean i think i think that's that's well put though the rest of what you what you said not not too much to to add i guess it, it means that the 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 Calls to abolish and and defund the police in a British context do appear more of a kind of um, as you, as you put in your your damage um, piece, Alex, a bit a bit more of a kind of an American import um into the discourse, if you will. So yeah, I don't um not that they don't exist, but I think that's that's they probably carry a bit more of that that feeling of a of a conflict which is from in another context which has been um, imported.
0: Right, and uh, to move on to another context, uh, we're going to wrap this up by talking about Brazil, and for that, I'm going to pass on to George because uh, George is the most Brazilian amongst us, <laughs> very clearly. No, um, because, yes. he's gonna, because he's going to because he's going to ask the questions. That's why.
1: That's a bit artificial, George. Ask me questions, um, but no, I think uh, so. This is talking about your your um, verso piece, which. I'm obliged to say was very good, but that's that's easy because it was. Um easy for me to say because it was. Yeah, so I guess just maybe just give us a bit of an, an overview of the the structure of policing in Brazil and particularly the the military police. Um, you know, where 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 have they come from and what do they do?
0: Yeah, so I mean, you know, for all the criticisms that I had about the kind of globalization of wokeness and and the perception of the questions of re- racism and policing through uh, a, a global angle um through that global lens i, I mean i do think there are genuine uh, national issues and i mean i think i think most people got that though some people seem to have misinterpreted my my original article um in saying that well just shut up there's no there's nothing to see here you know policing and racism aren't issues um there are issues and very much so in brazil i mean brazil you know, has sixty thousand murders per year. Officially, six thousand killings by police per year. Um, it's the deadliest police force in the world, and those are only official because there's also disappearances and and whatnot, which um, aren't counted. Um, and people aren't and police aren't held to account. Basically, I mean, sometimes they are, you know, um, but but broadly mm-hmm. speaking, uh, they're not because a lot of the policings are carried out by the military police, and the military police is Brazil's largest. Police force. It's a legacy of uh, the military dictatorship. It is very. It's hierarchically organized. Uh, The process by which one police becomes a military police officer uh, is is brutal. Um, You're trained to see uh, citizens as the enemy within, um, rather than um, you know fellow citizens to be provided a service. Now, of course, we know that policing, even in the most civilized societies, uh, is not. is not always it's not carried out as you know as a service. It's obviously a repressive arm of the state, but nevertheless, I think the the contrast is is still there. Um, in that the Brazilian military police, especially, um, yeah, treats um, treats especially the poor and especially the black uh, parts of the population um, as um, I mean as as effectively uh, bodies that can be disposed of um, and you know, so you, you have the military police, which is, as I said, the largest uh, force in the country. And you also have the federal police, which deals with uh, everything from, you know, issuing of passports and border control, um, to more to sort of organized crime at a national level. Um, but they also kill, you know, they're also responsible for, for killings. I cite some examples in the piece. Um, mm. So there was a recent case yeah. of, oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, was just I was just gonna sort of um ask for a i guess if there's an illustrative example not a kind of you know I, I, there are always some some shocking ones but is there anything that's really i guess caught public imagination around like this is what you know this is what the police really are because i guess that's one of the things about the murder of george, george floyd is that it kind of taught us or, or showed us what to a certain extent we already knew and that's why i think it it resonates so much is there anything like that in in brazil
0: yeah i mean you know while in the us there's often cases like George Floyd's and their are outrages each time in Brazil. They're so frequent that it's just become kind of background noise in a way. Um, though there, never, nevertheless, there's always outrages, which do attract a little bit more attention. Um, you know, there's a case of, uh, Agatha, who is like an eight-year-old girl who got killed a a, a year ago. This year, there was João Pedro. I mean, and, you know, I say these as if these are the only kids who get killed by police. No, there's many. It's just that for some reason, uh, certain cases uh, gain a little bit more media and activist attention. Um, You know, so the case which I mentioned in the article about João Pedro, which was in in kind of greater Rio, where it was actually an operation by the civil and federal police, not the military police, which uh, are known as kind of the most deadly, you can see them as, you know, heavily armed, almost death squads. Um, the federal and, and civil police were chasing down a, a, a drug gang, um, entered a property, and uh, there were some boys playing there. And they, even though they were all laid down on the ground, uh, w- one of them was shot and, and died on route to hospital. Um, they then went and disrupted the crime scene, effectively, um, moving his body, trying to, you um, portray make make it seem as if uh you know it was that th- there was some resistance on the part of uh of, of the boy who was killed and you know this is a this is common practice basically that you move you move the body um and the force which is meant to be investigating the, the military police is the civil police um and the civil police um you know it's a homicide detective or whatever um but they're they're not well seen i mean they're not they don't have the esteem that the military police have so unlike maybe as as you've seen like in US TV or films where the detectives are um, are more respected and the beat cops are just kind of um, the the mm-hmm. kind of thugs who are enforced kind of you know street policing. Uh, in Brazil, it's kind of the opposite. The homicide police aren't kind of very well seen, and their job is there to investigate. Part of their job is to investigate police killings, and of course, no one's really um, held to account.
1: No, I think yeah, that's that's something that's quite striking that comes through in the article, and and definitely subverts the you know the lessons learned from from years of uh, police um dramas that the the detectives are the, the the thinkers at the top of the the pile um but yeah just maybe a final question in terms of the, the profile of the sort of people who are, who are protesting i mean is against the police or, or or um sort of carrying the equivalent of the abolish or defund or another kind of um struggle against the police um in brazil what's you know, how would you describe them? What's their sort of background and and politics more generally?
0: I mean, there's a lot of organic uh, grassroots organizing around um, police violence, you know, um, quite a lot in Rio, especially um, because of the because of the higher levels of violence in Rio state and and, and specifically the city of of Rio and and the kind of surrounding area uh, where uh, there's basically open war between drug gangs in a way that in Sao Paulo, There isn't, Um, and you know, so there's lots of people. It's basically people getting caught in the crossfire, as well as uh, heavily police repression. And of course, uh, Bolsonaro and Bolsonarismo has aggravated the situation. The number of police killings have has drastically increased in the past year, year or two years. so there is resistance to that. And there's people who, you know, I, I think most listeners will be familiar with the case of Marielle Franco, who was a city councillor, a socialist, um, a black woman from the favela who was um, organizing and trying to hold to account not just the police, but also the the militias which have emerged, which are kind of paramilitary gangs, extortion rackets, which have uh, emerged in um, in kind of greater Rio. And, and her attempt to hold them to account ended up her, with her being assassinated by these militias. And these militias themselves are linked to to Bolsonaro. So, I mean, you know, the, the situation is, is very grim, but there is like grassroots resistance to it, which wouldn't at all fit with um, Phil's uh, critique of the U.S. Um, protesters' demands, which are completely linked with kind of NGOs and and the kind of professional managerial class and so on, um, you don't find the kind of grandiloquent claims to kind of uh, abolish the police here, because I think that would, I mean, I, they're just people would see that for the kind of utopianism that it is. Um, it's
1: uh, I, so fu- yeah. Fu- fundamentally, what's, I think that the, the, the one it? yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask what you know. Instead, of, instead of that, what what are the proposals? You know, what what's the project more more generally?
0: I mean, obviously, the situation is difficult because of one. The political climate has obviously moved towards and what saw the election of Bolsonaro, including lots of ultimately a lot of poor people did vote for Bolsonaro. Uh, people who are themselves object maybe of police violence, of course. I think that just to make it clear, um, the poorer and blacker you are, the less likely you will vote for Bolsonaro. But that still doesn't mean that, you know, 25% of the lowest income bracket still voted for Bolsonaro. I mean, that that still remained the case. And it's because of the gravity of the public security situation that people reached for a, you know, a solution which seemed to be not part of the traditional political class and which seemed to provide a heavy handed solution to to problems to the security problem to, to the very real security issue and so at least i think there's been a, a change on the left to want to deal with the question of public security seriously um and and not be afraid of maybe playing into the kind of authoritarian rights hand on the contrary as i conclude in the article it's a terrain which can't be left to the right um because uh, the the right isn't just a force of increased state repression but in Arguably, of more disorganization, precisely because of its links, especially the Bolsonarista far right, uh, links to these kind of uh, paramilitary gangs. So the the, the main cohering. Policy demand is for demilitarization, um, for the complete reform, restructuring, destruction, effectively of the military police, not of the police as such, but of the military police, which is uh, at the root of a lot of violence and and repression, um, and to demilitarize it and to reform it to see and so that it, you would have a new police force which would be civilian, not as a branch of the military, um, and therefore would see its role much more in providing public security rather than um, the brutal repression and killing of uh, of citizens.
1: Great, thank well um thanks very much for joining us Alex. <laughs> um, you can you can check out Alex's piece in in Verso Books blog. Um over to you Alex to to wrap up uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean I don't know if we wanted to make any final um, sort of general comparisons um on these on these questions. Um I think it just my part and maybe Phil wants to say something but just reiterate um the nation bound na- nature of these discussions um and to kind of look at the question specifically you know I mean I was very critical of kind of woke globalization but on the other hand with Brazil there's a very serious issue of racialized policing here and the the view of the black population as uh, you know open to be exterminated if 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 needs be um and I guess I'm just re- recapitulating that point that um, that yeah, specific I mean, I national would... histories, national context, and national resistances and their histories really matter.
2: So bring in Phil, but then talk over him. No, oh, sorry, sorry, mate. Go ahead. What I was going to say was, I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I absolutely agree, and it comes across very effectively in your um, in the Verso blog about the way in which um, uh, the police brutality and police violence in Brazil effectively is an inheritance of the military dictatorship that the workers' party and the left and Brazilian society as a whole, in the end, has been too weak to cast off. Um, so and I think so I mean to you know that speaks to a very specific national context. At the same time, I suppose I'd only add one last thing about the character of work globalization is how it undercuts the capacity to understand state power at the global level as well. Um, because you know, when you see, uh, say, policing in America as um, a legacy of colon, you know, um, the uh, English colonialism of the East Coast, stemming back to the seventeenth um, century or whatever, um, you don't make the connections with the brutality of the French of the French police um, against the gilets jaunes, or the brutality of the Russian police, or the Hong Kong police. Or the Serbian police, and the fact that state power today, um, in the kind of contempt, in the kind of roiling crises and social upheavals of the 2010s and 2020s, it seems too, is precisely becoming, you know, it's coercive. The coercive power of the state is more evident as a result of all this kind of social upheaval, and those connections and that insight is effect- effectively erased by woke globalisation and the idea that it's about. Um, you know, centuries-old white supremacy rather than state power and the contemporary shape of capitalism today.
0: Yeah, very well put. Um, And maybe we'll end on that note. Uh, We are back next week, as we're back every week, Um, but we're back with a free episode. Uh, I believe it is on uh, Dollar Hegemony. Uh, So you've got that to... Look forward to. Thank you for listening. Thank you for signing up. Um, if you would mind giving us a review, if you haven't reviewed us on wherever you get your podcast, that's always helpful. Um, so thank you very much, and thanks for listening. Catch you later. Bye bye.
2: I think we ca- I think we covered
1: it. Like we just have to say something. You
2: can't
1: You can't just sad boy in the corner. Yeah. You need energy.
2: I wasn't sad boy in the corner. I've said things already and I don't have anything to add, don't have anything to add, attend- don't to- to- have anything.